We've been on a journey of prayer this last probably 14 months, 15 months or so. Um, this series has really probably been on my heart more than anything else we've done in this journey. Um, because I really believe what God is wanting to do is to show us there's more of him for us to know. And if you, you, some of you have been a part of this prayer journey that we've been on. Some of you haven't. Some of you have chosen to kind of observe from a distance and hoping that maybe through this series you'll want to join in on where we've gone and where we're going. But here, here's what I've discovered. As we have taken last 14 or 15 months just to seek the face of God like we've never sought him before, to, to run after him in ways that I know personally I never have. I, don't, I think for many people uh, who's been a part of this, you recognize that, man, we're just getting after the Lord. We've seen him work in mighty ways. I mean, we've seen him heal people. We have seen marriages restored. We've seen provision that miraculously just got answered uh, prayer. We have seen uh, hundreds and hundreds of people come to faith in Christ. Uh, we have seen God just do so many things. And he, here's the thing that, that I, I, I'm learning about being on a journey of seeing God move is that the more you see him, the more you want to see him. Like the, the more we see his glory and the more we discover uh, what's found in him when we seek his face in prayer and his presence shows up in our life, the more of him you want. I mean, this is just the way it is. He's inexhaustible. And when you, when you feast on him, it, it, there's, it's, just, it's amazing how this happens. When you feast on the presence of the Lord, it both satisfies you, satisfies you and makes you more hungry at the same time for more of him. And so this series really is about continuing that pursuit of wanting to see him more. I illustrate it like this. I like to go to the mountains. I love um, going and, and, and uh, visiting like Colorado and driving through the various mountain ranges. And uh, what I, I love though is when we get up there, we'll, we'll get a, a Jeep or something and just ride through the mountains. And, and uh, what's, what I love is, is that as you go up into the mountain range, the higher you go and the further you go, it seems like there's just new things that you've never seen before. There's other paths you can take and other roads. And, and this is what I've discovered about me. I love that so much that the further I drive into the mountain range or higher I go, the further I wanna go. Like, I'm like, okay, what's on, what's on that mountain? And what's beyond this hill? And, and let's kind of see if we can find a path. I love to see what the backside of that mountain looks like. It's like there's this point of discovery where you're like, man, I could drive for days and days and days and still not able to see all there is to see of this incredible mountain. And maybe I'm just wired funny, but that's, that's kind of what I like to do when we drive through the mountains. But when it comes to what we've gone through this last year, we have been ascending and climbing what we called Mount God. And as we discover him, the more of him we want to discover. The more we've seen of him, the more we want to see. The more glory we've experienced, the more glory we want to be revealed. And so it's not as if we've taken this journey for the last year and it's, it's brought us to a place where we go, well, that's done. No, it's left us in a place where we go, okay, if this is what God can do in 14 months of prayer, what could he do in 15? What could he do in 16? What could he do in two years? If this is what he can do with just a couple of hundred people that gather for prayer, what would it look like if a thousand people began to pray? Like it's just, it's, less, it's, it's left me wanting more and more and more of him for us to continue to press into this journey that we're on. Because here's the thing, listen, we could, we could journey our entire life examining this mountain called the presence of God and never get to the end of it. And so for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to, I really want us to go through Isaiah 64 where Isaiah is going to help us know what it looks like to pray and posture our life 
in a position for revival. Because here's what I'll say to you. We still need revival at New Beginnings Baptist Church. We need it. You need it in your life. I need it in my life. We need it in our church. Churches all over our community need it. Our nation needs revival. It needs, we need a, a, a special outpouring of God's presence and power in our midst. And listen, we haven't experienced it yet. And here's why I know we haven't experienced it yet is because there's still so many people that are standing on the sidelines kind of watching this thing. And there, there's still so much of the world in the church and what we need is for an outpouring of God's presence to move with such power that it turns us upside down. And we've yet to experience that. And let me just say, I think there are two, two main reasons that we don't experience revival. Now, before I tell you those two reasons, I want to give you a precursor. Um, you can't manufacture revival. You can't schedule revival. You can't decide, okay, hey, we're gonna go through this time and then after that we're gonna have revival. You can't do that because revival is something God does in his timing and in the ways that he wants to do it, amen? But what we can do is get in the way of revival. Two, two big things I think that keep churches from experiencing revival. Number one is no desire for it. Like we don't want revival. We don't wanna seek the face of God and, and pray and call on his name. Listen, then that's, that's one way to be certain that you're not gonna experience revival. So one, we don't desire it. So we're not gonna seek, we're gonna pray, we're not gonna chase after, we're not gonna gather and say desperately. So that's one reason we don't experience revival. The second is because of undealt with sin. Like undealt with sin, listen, sin creates a barrier that prevents God's presence from moving with power. Sin quenches the presence of God. It quenches the spirit of God. And this is really why I believe so many people, again, I'm not gonna make a blanket, I'm, I'm gonna make this statement, but don't let it be a blanket over everyone, but I'm speaking by and large. The reason so many people are resistant to prayer movements and this praying for revival, and I'm just gonna be gut level honest with you. You know why most people are resistant? Because they don't want it. Because we, if, we, if God shows up, we gotta deal with stuff, right? If God shows up, I got to deal with it. Like I can't just, I can play the game and not deal with it. But when God shows up, the, the holiness of God and the glory of God puts a spotlight on areas of my life that I gotta deal with. And listen, we don't want God tampering with that. See, it's really easy to have status quo church and to come in and come out, sing a few songs, uh, listen to a few sermons, even take a few notes and memorize a few, few verses and still let religion be the camouflage that hides the, the true condition of our spiritual heart. It's really easy. We can come into church and we can do this thing, listen, and still live the same way without a passion for God. But when God visits us, things change. We have to deal with stuff. This is why I've had people tell me, we, we, I, I, Pastor, I know the prayer meeting is important to you, but man, I just don't need that. And I'll just say, I think for the most part, people say that because they know they have to deal with stuff. Because you can, you can play the game. You can have spiritual activity as camouflage to hide the true spiritual condition of your heart. But when God shows up, that gets exposed. Think about Isaiah chapter six. Isaiah six, Isaiah goes to church for crying out loud. He's in the temple. And something unusual happens at the temple. God showed up. 
And when God showed up, Isaiah's response, listen, think about this. He goes into the temple all as well. God shows up, here's his response. Woe is me, I'm undone. In other words, I'm not supposed to be here. Now, what what changed from Isaiah walking into the temple and all is well to woe is me, I think I'm gonna die? God's presence, that's what. All of a sudden, he goes, man, I'm a man of unclean lips and I live among people. All of a sudden, when you get under the spotlight of holiness and glory, we find the true condition of our heart and we begin to be disturbed by the true condition of our culture. And a lot of people don't want revival because they don't want to have to deal with that in their own life or the life of those around them. And listen to me, church. We desperately need the holiness of God, the glory of God to shine his spotlight on us, amen? And this is the heartbeat over the next couple of weeks as we take this journey to truly deal with sin. So Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 64 is where we are. And um, I actually found my notes. Um, Isaiah 64, if you're there, say, I'm there. I want you to listen. We're gonna cover the first three verses this week as we work our way through it over the next few weeks. He says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and the nations might tremble at your presence, to make your name known to your adversaries. And in verse three, he says, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked to presence. So Isaiah is recognizing the spiritual condition of God's people, and he is, in essence, praying for what we would call revival. And he starts this out by saying, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. The mental picture is this. Oh, that you would peel back this veil that keeps us from experiencing your presence. Now, I want to clarify something about this so we can understand what actually he's praying for. So there's an attribute that God has that we find in scripture, and we call it, the word we use is the omnipresence of God. The omnipresence of God, literally it means that God is ever present, that God is at all places at all time, amen? So God is here, all right? So God God is here, right here in East Texas, America. He's also in Ukraine. He's also in East Africa. He's also in Alaska. And if you were to get in a spaceship and fly to the furthest star in our galaxy, God's there as well. If you were to go to the outer edge of the universe where no human, even our technology can get to and go beyond that point, God is there as well. God is all places at all times. So here's the question in light of that, then what is Isaiah asking for? He's saying, if you would rend the heavens and come down, what is he asking God to do? So what Isaiah is dealing with here is not God's omnipresence, that he's fact that he's everywhere at all times. He's dealing with his manifest presence. He's asking God to reveal his presence, to visit his people, to show up in a very real and tangible way. He is acknowledging that though God is present at all places at all times, God chooses at times to manifest himself in a way that is very real and undeniable and you know you are in the presence of God. You can be in the presence of God and not be aware of it with omnipresence. But you cannot be in the presence of God and be unaware of it in the manifest presence. It's where God chooses to show up and display his glory and power in a very real way. I've experienced this a few times 
in, in my life, and in the last year especially, there's been different moments that our church has experienced this. I, I, this one in particular happened at a prayer meeting um, right after our fast. I'll be honest with you, the fast ended 21 days, and man, it was, God did some great things in the hearts of our people, heard great testimonies, but I, can I be honest with you, on day 21, I was a little bit like disappointed. I don't know what I was expecting, but I got, we got to the end of it, and I was like, well, I was kind of anticlimactic. Um, and, uh, but as we moved a few days later on Wednesday night following the fast, we were in, a, in, our, in prayer meeting, and it was just a, another prayer meeting. And then it, all of a sudden, for those who were there that night, it, God showed up. And it wasn't anything weird. It was just, you knew he's in the room. Not in the room like he's in the room at another time, but in the room in a way that's unique to any other time that you've been in the room with him. Like it was, we had a script for the prayer meeting and not detailed, but kind of had a direction. All of a sudden, God began to move. He began to do stuff that we weren't even talking about and people began just to leave their seat, coming and getting saved. It was just this, this moment where, like I literally was on stage and everybody was making fun of me afterwards because they were like, you were like tiptoeing. Like, I don't know what I was doing, but I was, there was this sense of awe, like I was trying not to get in the way. There was this sense of holy fear of God is in the room. I remember one of our elders, he texted me afterwards. We didn't even talk. He just said, it was thick tonight. I remember seeing one of our staff members walking by and look at me and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening here. But you knew that you were in the presence of God. That's what Isaiah is praying for. The manifest presence of God in the life of God's people. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He's praying, listen to this, he's praying for revival. Now church, look at me for a second. Hear me say this. When we pray for revival, here is what we're praying for. We're praying for God's presence. We're praying for God to move in a supernatural way. We're praying for there to be an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that is different from the, from the normal life that we typically live. That's what we're praying for. So in this series, as we journey through this, I want you to understand, this is our prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that he would create in us a desire to be a, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down type of people who are desperately asking for a visitation of the Holy Spirit so that we would see God move and know that he's in our midst and watch him work and enjoy his presence. So listen, as we take this journey, understand we've got one prayer request this entire series. And we are not asking God for anything. We are just asking for God. Which is, by the way, trumps any need that we have. But that's what, that's what we're after. And, and so this is Isaiah's angst. So here's the thing. Um, I'm gonna acknowledge the fact that many of us in this room don't feel the angst of Isaiah. We just get into chapter 64 and we're like, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Like the word oh there is this idea of, it's, it's, it's this, this groaning from his, from his heart. This is the passion. Oh, that you would. He's just, he's at the end of himself. I get desperate for God to move. When we get to chapter 64 and we go, man, that's a great prayer, but I don't feel it. Well, go back to chapter 63 where you get the context of why he's praying what he's praying. Uh, chapter 63, you see this passion and desperation and where it comes from. Uh, chapter 63, verse 15 is where we're gonna be. If you're there, say, I'm there. 
So you see some of the same language. He says, look down from heaven and see. So there's this idea of separation. So God is present at all places at all times, but what he's, he's acknowledging is that the manifest presence of God isn't with his people. He says, look down. Look down and see from your holy and beautiful habitation. There's a distance between them and God. And then he asks this question, where are your zeal and your, and your might? Where are your zeal and your might? See, what is he talking about there? Zeal is the, is the word passion. Might is the idea of power. So Isaiah, here's what's happening. Israel had been in a slow fade for a long time where they had slowly walked away from walking in, in obedience to the Lord. And God would send prophet after prophet after prophet to warn them, listen, the power and the presence that I have placed upon you, listen, I'm gonna remove it. I'm gonna live, let you live in the consequences of your rebellion if you do not repent and turn from your wicked ways. He warned them, but rather than heeding the word of the prophets, they persecuted the prophets. And they would say to them, we're fine spiritually, we're great. We go to the worship and we offer our sacrifices and we do the religious thing. But what they were doing behind closed doors were bowing a knee to the idols of the world. And prophet after prophet warns them until finally God removes his hand, his presence and power, and the enemies come in and begin to devour the land. And here Isaiah is, he's been preaching and prophesying about this day coming. And now here he is, the, the land has been ruined. The power and the presence of God has been removed. So when Isaiah says, where is your zeal and where is your compassion or might? He's saying, where is your passion and where is your power? not as an indictment toward God, but rather as an acknowledgement of their spiritual condition. He's recognizing the true spiritual nature of what has become of this nation. He goes on to say, he says, the stirring of your inner parts and your compassion, now listen to this next phrase, are held back from me. Ray Ortland, great Bible teacher and pastor, he's wrote a book called When God Comes to Church. His, his commentary on this entire section of Isaiah, I'm, I'm using for a lot of my studying and preparation. And one of the things that, that, that Ray Ortland says, he says, this little phrase here, are held back from me, um, is key because it's the idea of is restrained. It's actually used twice here in, in this. There's kind of a bookends where he's acknowledging, God, you have passion for us and you have power. You, you have compassion. You love us. There is, when he says the stirring of your inner parts, he's saying, God, he's using, you know, kind of human language to describe that, God, you feel deeply for us. And he's doing this in a form of a question. In other words, he is saying, listen, God, we know you have power and we know your, your passion for us. We know that you love us, but because of sin, that power and that presence and that love that you have is being held back. It's being restrained from us. Sin has created a barrier that is restraining the presence and power of God from the life of people. Now listen, this is huge that we understand this. He's very clear here that they are still the people of God. But the difference is, is as the people of God, they're not experiencing the power and the presence of God in their life. And we need to heed this and understand sin creates barriers between us and God. It, it restrains his goodness from being pulled out, poured out upon us. Let me say it like this. We've got to understand that the work of Jesus is finished, like like. Our salvation is signed, sealed, and delivered. 
There was a bloody cross and an empty tomb. Am I grateful for that? And so our salvation, we are, by the covenant made on the cross with Jesus, we are the people of God. And we have been given the deposit of the Holy Spirit that seals our salvation until the day of redemption. And I'm grateful for that. But listen, there is a difference between having my salvation sealed and living in the fullness of my salvation and experiencing the power of God in my life. It's one thing to have my salvation sealed with the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's another thing to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit that's been given me. And here is what Isaiah is saying. Isaiah is saying, listen, we are your people. We belong to you. But the effect of being your people, which is your presence and your power, and us walking in your goodness and knowing you and enjoying you, that has been taken away. You've restrained it from us. There is a barrier between you and your people. And this leads to something. I want you to see even more of why he is struck to the core over this. Verse 16 of chapter 63, listen to this. He says, for you are our father. So remember, again, he's acknowledging the covenant relationship hasn't changed. We're still your people. You're still our father. Listen to what he says here. For you are our father, though Abraham does not know us, And Israel does not acknowledge us. You, O Lord, are our father. Now follow what he's saying here. You say, what in the world? You're our father. But Abraham doesn't know us. And here's here's, here's in essence what he's saying. We have drifted so far from experiencing your presence and power in our life as your people that if Abraham, who is the father of our nation, was to time warp from his day to our day in anticipation of what is it gonna be like to be my people in this era, he says if he was to time leap from his day to our day, Abraham would show up and say, I don't even recognize you. You look nothing like the people of God. He says of Israel, Jacob, was to, to, to move and to anticipate of what is the people of God experiencing the power of God gonna look like in Isaiah's day. Isaiah says, if Israel was to show up on the scene, he would not even know that we belong to God whatsoever. And see, this is what really strikes Isaiah to the core. He is saying, listen, we are the people of God, but we don't look like the people of God. We belong to him, but we aren't experiencing the presence and the power of what it means to be his. If, our, if, if Abraham shows up, if Israel shows up, they wouldn't even know that we are the people of God. They would think we're just like everyone else. So church, look up at me for a second. I want you to answer this question in your own heart. If you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter one and two, and you see the power of God among the people of God and the way the gospel is flourishing and the authority that God's people walked in and the passion for prayer and the the pursuit of his mission that they lived with in that day, if you had the church of Acts one and two just take a leap from their day and walk at New Beginnings Baptist Church today, would they even recognize that we're a church? If the early believers were to somehow get plucked out of the early chapters of the book of Acts and come hang out with you for a day, would they even know that you're a Christian? That's what Isaiah's dealing with. 
And I think about this. I think if, if, if the Apostle Paul was to somehow go from planting his church in Philippi where he sees the power of God unleashed in the life of his people and, and just ordinary people filled with the Holy Spirit, living on mission and, and consumed with pursuing Jesus, if he was just to jump from Philippi to come to 2022 and walk in, would he think that he walked into a pagan worship service that just had Jesus attached to it? And I would just say this, by and large, the church of America does not look like the church of the New Testament. Not in how we do church. We can talk about that all day long. I'm talking about the power and the presence of God among his people. It gets even worse. This is what's building the angst of his heart. Look at verse 18. He says this. He says, your holy people held possession for a little while. In other words, there was a day when we lived in the city and your temple was there and your power was there and your presence was there and and we are your people and we were a light to the world and all was good because we walked in submission to you and your presence was with us, but that's all changed. He says, but our adversaries have trampled down your sanctuary. In other words, the enemy has devoured the land The temple has now been destroyed where the presence of God once dwelled. Now the enemy has now conquered it. Verse 19, we have become like those over whom you have never ruled. Like those who are not called by your name. Listen, feel the weight of this. He says, we went from worshiping you and seeing your power and your presence being a light to the world now we look like we've never had a relationship with you. And when he says we look like a people that's not called by your name, he's saying we look like the rest of the world. There is no distinction now between God's people and the rest of the people of the earth. Remember what Moses says in Exodus 33 and 34? God tells him, hey, because of the the, the sin of the people, God was gonna strike them down. He petitions and God says, okay, I won't kill them. I will send them to the promised land, but I'm not going with them. And Moses says, no way. We don't want the promised land without the presence. Why? Because Moses says this to the Lord. How will we stand out distinct, your people, among the other peoples of the earth? Is it not by your presence going with us? In other words, Moses recognized that the only distinction between God's people and the people of the world is not our buildings and is not the, the, the possessions that we have. It's the presence of God dwelling among us. And here's what Isaiah is saying. Listen, we have been ruined, not because our city has been destroyed, but because the presence and the power of God has been removed. And if I could say a warning cry to the church of America, by and large, listen, this is our story. For most part, listen, we could do what we do with our churches without the presence of God. You know why? We're really innovative and we got a lot of resources. But by and large, when you look at the average Christian in the church today, they look no different than the average non-Christian in their community. 
When you look at the priorities of what they put as most important, it looks no different except for maybe we tag Jesus on the backside of it with some facade of religion and we have no real passion, no real angst, no real love for the church, no real hunger for the Lord to move and to use us just to have our comfortable life where we content with our sin to do a little bit of good and just settle down and be easy and live the American dream. Listen, and it's killing our churches. And you would say, if we don't change, we're gonna die. And I will tell you this, we're already dead if this is where we are. And this is what Isaiah is looking at. So now you get out of verse 19, chapter 64, verse one. Now you understand the angst. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Oh, that you would move again like this. Oh God, we've, we've gone too far. We look just like the world. Your presence and power isn't here. We can't stay here. Oh God, would you move? Would you come? Would you meet with us? Would you visit us? This is the angst of his life. It's not just some cliche verse that we would read when we would like to have a good prayer meeting. It's coming from the soul of a man who'd rather die than to not see God move. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Can I just tell you, listen, there's only two reasons why we not feel this in our soul. We're not praying like this. Number one, we don't want it. We're quite content. And so we'll find every excuse just to casually approach God and just to dismiss, make us the center of everything and not realize that what we need is a move of God. We just don't want it. Number two, this is probably the most people, we don't recognize how bad we need it. Isaiah gets to that place. Isaiah comes to the end of himself and he says, we need it more than anything else. We need the power and the presence of God to be poured out upon us in power. And so the question we have to ask is this. What does it look like when God moves like this? What does it look like when God moves like this? Write this down if you're taking notes. Listen, again, I'm gonna give you some truth here. We see this, and this is how we know we haven't seen it yet, but this is what we're asking God to do. Number one, write this down. Listen, what does it look like when God moves in power? When God moves in power, it will result in spiritual transformation. When I mean transformation, I mean complete transformation. When I was writing this, I I was like, um, I was trying to find a way of basically saying, when God shows up, you know it, which is probably a better way of saying it, right? When God shows up, you know it. Why? Because it changes everything. It transforms everything. Look what he says here in the text. Verse number one, he says, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, how? That the mountains might quake at your presence. That the mountains might quake at your presence. Now, one of the things that Ray Ortland says, and I love this, it brings clarity to this. When he says that the mountains might quake at your presence, he's not just asking for God to move with a little earthquake. God, would you show up and would you shake things up a little bit? That's not what he's praying for. It's actually, he's praying that God would destroy the mountain. God, that you would obliterate, that you would shake it to the point that it it crumbles down to nothing. 
And here's what Ortland would suggest, and I think he's onto something. He says this mountain represents the immovable object, the barrier of rebellion and, re and resistance to God that exists between him and his people. And here's what Isaiah is saying. This mountain of sin that's keeping us from experiencing the fullness of your power, oh, that you would rend the heavens and you would tear the mountain down. Oh, that you would fall with such power that anything that stands between us and you might be obliterated, might be destroyed, might be wiped out. Would you blow it up? Sin creates a barrier. Resistance to God creates a barrier. And, and Isaiah is going, God, we don't want anything to hold you back. Would you come in power and you, would you break everything that stands between us and you? So how do we know that? Because what he says next he says, as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil. Like this is transformative, right? You have a pile of brush that's dried out. What happens when you throw a match on it? It consumes it, it destroys it, it's gone. What happens when you put a hot fire under a pot of water? It's gonna boil the water, it's gonna transform the water and eventually it's gonna evaporate it. And this is what Isaiah is saying. Would you, would, you, would you move with such power? Would you move with, with such um, 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 might that it would destroy anything that would keep us from your presence? Because wherever God shows up with his manifest presence, listen to me, every place God visits gets changed. When there's a visitation of God, it changes wherever that visitation happens. Let me illustrate like this. The other night, we uh, went to bed just like everybody else on, on, on Monday. Storms coming through East Texas. Um, about 10.35, 10.40, alarm starts going off. Hey, we gotta get in a shelter. Bad storms coming through, tornado spotted potentially. And so um, we began to make, get the kids up, get them all kind of situated and we're watching this thing on uh, the news and on our phone and and the tornado path actually happened about a mile and a half north of our house through the woods. Like that's the trajectory. And so we knew we were kind of in that path. And so just a real quick question so you can help me with my wife. Um, when, men in the room, like when, when, when this thing's, when the alarms go off, uh, I asked a, a guy this the other day, I was like, what do you do? And, and uh, cause I just needed justification. Uh, he said, well, well, we get up and get our kids to the shelter. I said, I can get the kids to the shelter. I said, what do you do? He says, I go on the porch and watch. So I'm normal, right? Right? I'm, I'm normal. So I need somebody to tell my wife that. I'm normal. Um, and so that's what our family did. And we had some bre a breeze at our house, and then it picked up to some strong winds and a little bit of hail, but for the most part, didn't even move furniture on our back porch. So we went to bed thinking, no big deal. We get up. The next morning, I'm driving the kids to school. It's still dark, a little bit of rainy. All of a sudden, we're driving on 300, about two and a half miles from our house. All of a sudden, I start running over debris. Only looked to the right to see the tornado path and it had cleared the way. Trees twisted off the top. We had some of our staff in a, in a helicopter helping with some of the aerial assessment and you could see that, that path from um, west of, of 271 all the way to Hughes Springs, 40 miles on the ground and you could see this path as it just was a clear line of where that tornado visited. You see, we didn't get the visitation of the tornado, but we felt the wind, but nothing changed. But everything in the path of the tornado did. There was no denying 
that that strip of real estate had a visitation from a tornado. And here's what I would just suggest to you this morning. Is it is, it's, it's, it's one thing to be near a movement of God and to see it from a distance or maybe you feel the breeze of God moving. And some of y'all have said, I mean, God's doing some things. You're feeling the breeze of God moving. But what would it look like for New Beginnings Baptist Church to have the tornado of, of revival sweep through our church, not to give us a breeze or a few strong winds of revival, but to blow through here in such a way that we are never the same again, that our city's never the same again. And this is what God is wanting to do in our, our lives. This is what we're praying for. When God moves in power, it results in transformation. Number two, when God moves in power, it results in spiritual awakening. Look what he says in verse number two, B, at the very end of that, he says, to make your name known to your adversaries that the nations might tremble at your presence. Isaiah is remembering the big picture. What's the big picture? God is gonna dwell among his people, his covenant people and display his presence and power so that the nations might know that he is the true and living God. And Isaiah is saying, would you move in power in such a way, would you come again and use us for our missional purposes so that as the world around us, as the nations, your enemies, as they see your presence and power in our midst, that they too might become worshipers of you. That's spiritual, he's praying for spiritual awakening. See, what is the difference? Revival is when God moves and manifests his presence and power among his people. Spiritual awakening is what happens in the culture outside when the church has a visitation inside. When God ignites his church on fire with the glory of his presence, the world is impacted. Every major great awakening, spiritual awakening in the history since Jesus, every spiritual awakening where there's just uh, cultures turned upside down for the gospel has been a byproduct of a church that had revival. And what Isaiah is saying is, would you revive us in such a way that the, there's a spiritual awakening in the nations? Now, we can't put God in a box. Look what he says, verse three. He's giving God an example, like God needs one. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. He was, I think, I think, and, and Orland says this as well, God is, ref, Isaiah is referring to when God showed up in power with Moses on the mountain. Remember, he shows up with fire and the mountains shook and they thought God had killed him. And certainly Moses is dead because God moved and did what they did not expect. And here's what, here's what Isaiah is saying. He says, God, remember what you did before with Moses you did that thing that we didn't expect. God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again? Would you do that thing that we did not expect again? Would you show up in power? And I love this, we did not expect. In other words, Isaiah's not saying, God, would you move like this? Would you do this? He's saying, God, would you just move in whatever you wanna do when you move, we're good with. Because here's why, you know this, listen to this. Don't miss this. God may not move like we expect, but he will always exceed expectations. What does revival look like? I don't know. What does it look like for God to move in power in our church, in our community, in our world? I don't know, but I know this. He may not move like I expect him to move, but he will always exceed any expectation that I have. 
You believe that? So let me, let me make sure we rest all of this under the banner of the gospel. M- Isaiah is praying this, pleading for this revival from a different vantage point than we're praying for this. Isaiah is praying for this, looking for Jesus, looking for the Messiah to come. We pray this, looking at what he's already given us. We come as the people under the banner of the new covenant that has been signed, sealed, and delivered by the blood of Jesus, amen? You know, so we, as we pray this verse, think about this, listen. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might be destroyed, anything barrier between us and you, that the nations might come worship you, when you did that thing on the mountain that we didn't expect, think about this. Listen, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. He has. Jesus put on skin and he dwelled among us. And Jesus, because he died for our sins in his resurrection, you know what he did? He removed the great mountain that stood between us and God. The mountain quaked at the presence of the resurrected Jesus and it was obliterated. Now there is access to the presence of God because of Jesus. And now the nations can come to him. You know why? He did the unexpected thing on Mount Calvary. No one ever thought that God himself would come and die for humanity, but he did. And so now as we pray for revival, we're saying, we're looking back at the cross and going, God, you've given us full access to your presence. You have given us the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, would you rend the heavens and come down? In light of what Jesus has done, would you move in power and would you fill us with your presence and would you move in a fresh way, God, so that we could live in the fullness of what is already ours in Jesus? Does that make sense? This is our heartbeat. This is our prayer. Now listen. The next few weeks, we're gonna be taking a journey through Isaiah 64. <clears throat> and here's where I'm asking you to lean in and listen. The great barrier, I believe, between the church of Jesus and being ready for revival is there is a need for personal and corporate holiness, for our lives to be in a position Sin hinders the presence of God. Sin interrupts the presence of God. Isaiah, we're gonna get to next week, that's what he's dealing with. Why has God restrained himself? It's because they've got undealt with sin. And I think that's partly the problem for us. I know it is for me. We get so comfortable with things that God hates. And what we need is a spiritual cleansing. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna give you the, kind of the process here. We're gonna ask you to register for a one-week fast. It's gonna begin Monday the 4th, a one-week fast. And next week, I'll preach a sermon preparing us for what we're, what we're gonna do. So starting actually next Sunday afternoon, when you register uh, for the fast, we're gonna be able to provide for you either a PDF copy or a hard copy of this book, Returning to Holiness. And then on Sunday afternoon next week, you'll do the introduction of this book on your own. And then each morning, we're asking you to work through um, one section of this book. There are seven sections. It's gonna deal with seven areas of sin that we all deal with. Sin of our mouth, sin of thoughts, sin of just disobedience, sin of relationships. And it's gonna deal, every day, you're gonna deal with a different category of sin. And what we're asking you to do 
is go to the introduction on Sunday, and then on Monday morning, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then it'll be the last day, we next Sunday morning, or that the next Sunday morning. You will work through one of those categories every day, and, and we're asking you to fast during that time. You say, what do I fast from? We're gonna give you a fasting guide. You can choose whatever fast that you want. We're gonna prepare you for that. But for this, and we're not asking God for anything other than, God, would you cleanse us and purify us? Would you make us ready to receive whatever you want to give us? Which is you, him. So th- this is what we're going to do. So this, this is, we register for this fast, get this resource, and what you're going to need is this book or the PDF version, a journal, and your Bible. And it's going to take you about 40 minutes a day maybe an hour if you spend some extra time and you're just gonna work through the scriptures, you're gonna work through the questions and you're gonna spend time doing what it says, praying, confessing, reconciling in some, you have to pick the phone up, maybe call some people, but God wants to do a work in us and we need to ask him to purify us and prepare us for it. A holy church is a powerful church and so I'm asking you to join our students um, and uh, college students, high school students, junior high students, we're, we're gonna get, when you guys register, we're going to get you the PDF version uh, for this and then anyone else who wants the PDF. So you can actually do that right now. You can register right now. And then when we dismiss in a few moments, um, you can go out. If you want to go ahead and pick up the copy of this book, but we'll actually start the next Sunday on the books. Next Sunday afternoon introduction, work through it. Now, here's the thing. There's going to be a lot of you in this room that are like, man, I don't, I don't, I don't think I want to take that journey. And I'm just telling you right now, I go through this book quite a bit. I go through it on Wednesday nights in preparation quite a bit. And it's like taking a spiritual shower. And it is just one of the most freeing things you can do as a follower of Jesus is just to be honest with Jesus about things he already knows about. There's just a freedom that you find in Christ. And I'm asking you to join this effort. This is for your health and for the health of our church. Let's walk through this. And then on the last Sunday, Palm Sunday, we'll finish the sermon series. And that evening, we're gonna have a prayer gathering where we just celebrate and pray and seek the face of God together from a position of a clean and pure heart. That make sense? All right. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pray over you and then I'm gonna make a special acknowledgement and then we'll be dismissed. Father, I love you and I ask now that you would let our people capture a heart for this. God, that we would be used as your people. Lord, that we would um, find ourselves humbled before you, asking you as Isaiah did, would you rend the heavens and come down? Would you visit us in a very real and powerful way? God, use this word in our hearts in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen.